This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, this is The Property Show. I'm Keith Kam. This week, we delve into navigating the landlord-tenant relationship, which is more often than not always pleasant. So you finally manage to save enough money to invest in a piece of property that you can rent out and hopefully earn some extra income and to maybe offset that monthly mortgage obligation. You need to find a tenant and then agree on a monthly rental fee, how much to collect and when to collect. All this needs some sort of agreement, obviously. However, in Malaysia, there are currently no federal rules that regulate the scope and the limitation of a tenancy agreement. So that risk in something that is not regulated by legislation means either the landlord or the potential tenant can add many terms and conditions and make the contract more advantageous to either party. There have also been instances where such tenancy agreements are done verbally and only sealed with a handshake. So we have heard horror stories about how some tenants have skipped out after defaulting for months. Some may have even thrashed the rented units in their hurry to leave. I managed to speak to one such property owner who had an experience just like that, although the more dramatic ones had declined to be interviewed eventually. So this owner, whose name I have been requested to withhold, did talk to me about his experience. So let's start with what the apartment is like. We acquired this apartment, which is about 1,000 square feet in size, in a choice location. You know, actually with a bit of an effort because we took part in a public, sort of an open tender that was called by a foreign embassy. The unit originally belonged to one of the embassies in town. And we got that, and it is about 1,000 square feet, and on the first floor of an apartment complex in a beautiful location, which is in front of the GE Mall, just next to the Glen Eagle Hospital. And it was on the the first floor. We had it almost three-quarter, almost fully furnished, you know, with a fully equipped kitchen, you know, fridge, etc., etc. And it came with a, a very big indoor uh, sort of car park, you see. It was very well run uh, with joint management committee, you know. The, uh, the security was headed by one of the staff, lah, you know. Uh, uh, that's how we came to, to own this place. So the apartment was located just off busy Jalan Ampang, not too far from amenities like a hospital, a shopping mall and public transport. It wasn't too long before interest was peaked and a potential tenant came along. The owner did a quick assessment of who the potential tenant might be and nothing from that initial meeting had raised any alarm bells. The tenant was recommended to us by the uh, head of the staff. We met the tenant before coming to any agreement, as, as usual. And uh, I was quite happy uh, with the chit-chat that I had with him, you know. He was, to me, he presented a picture of a very successful civil contractor, you know. Just husband and wife and one 
school going kit. So with that sorted, it was time to put things on paper and to formalise it. Now, remember that in Malaysia, there is no legislation as to how such tenancy agreements are regulated. Well, it was a fairly standard rental agreement, the usual clauses. The important one, of course, was the, the one-month advance payment, one-month deposit and uh, deposit for utility fees. And, uh, and that was it. It was uh, an ad hoc contract. I don't think we engaged any lawyer. It was a standard agreement uh, that we used. Uh, I think it was all properly stamped, you know. Right? So it was uh, yeah, a proper tenancy agreement, you know. The tenant and his family then moved in and the situation was pretty standard for a while. Payments were on time, everything was pleasant and then things began to change. This tenant, I must say, was uh, very regular with his payment. It was uh, very good uh, for a few months uh, and then uh, he began to experience cash flow problems with his business and things got delayed a few months, you know, and then he would make a payment of one month, you know. And uh, we sort of uh, accepted his cash flow problems. And uh, this went on uh, for, uh, for a while. Uh, behind by two, three months, you know. Uh, then suddenly he would meet a bit of a payment and we will continue for a while. And uh, this sort of kept us going and I wasn't really too worried. And then what was supposed to have been a routine visit to collect rent after a few months of delay led to a surprising discovery. The apartment had been emptied out. What gave me the shock was one day when I dropped in to collect, uh, expecting another month of a delayed payment, right? the apartment door was open and the, and the tenant and the family had disappeared. Chabut. <laughs> I, got, I, I got to say that uh, it wasn't, it was quite clean, it wasn't damaged. They did not cause any damage as such. Like. But yeah, the, the wall was dirty. I was just upset that my favourite, almost antique, wood armchair was missing. The apartment owner had little warning that the tenant had moved out so quickly in the middle of the night and saw no signs that would have indicated that before it had happened. None at all. And that was why I was quite upset with the head of the management staff, you see. Right? Uh, how would uh, they have not known that this guy was going to come in with a small van or some form of vehicle and uh, move out at midnight or for whatever time, you see. And uh, my issue really was with the manager, with the staff, you know. He was the guy who recommended his tenant to me, remember, in the first instant. I attended to search for him. The staff manager took me to his house, and that house also was empty. That means uh, he has already left. Lah. So I thought it wasn't worth my while, you know, to make a police report. I could probably also have uh, got the uh, management people in trouble, you see. But what could the apartment owner and indeed any other landlord could have done to ensure a different outcome? Uh, in hindsight, I suppose I could have been more stringent, you know, and uh, more demanding, you know, that he has not paid for so many months. Whatever the, the, the case may be, I think uh, I would have had to get the police involved, you got to meet police report, you know the hassle. And uh, 
he seemed to pacify me with a delay. Uh, when I became too aggressive, he would make one month payment and I would tolerate uh, him saying on and uh, the rental would default into a few more months and all that, you see. For now, perhaps there should have been some proper standardisation when it comes to how a tenancy agreement should be drawn up. Also, should the apartment security and management have been just as vigilant? So when looking back, uh, when you talk about legislation, you, you could get the uh, joint management committee of, of any such apartment complex involved. For example, uh, if I were to make a report, say, to the management committee to say that, look, I'm having problem with my tenant, he's not paid me for so many months, you know, Instead of me making a police report, could you do this, 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 this? That's one. The other one is instead of the tenant paying the landlord the obligatory advance payment of one month for rental deposit payment in advance, maybe the tenant should also legally be made to pay a one-month rental to the management committee. If for whatever reason this fellow should live illegally, like that, uh, at least there is another one month there, and that would meet the tenant probably uh, a little bit uh, law obliging. There were reports dating back from 2022 that the Housing and Local Government Ministry is working on a proposal to enact the Residential Tenancy Act aimed at specifically protecting landlords and tenants. This is something that is long overdue in Malaysia. While dedicated landlord and tenant legislation exists in countries like the UK, Australia, New Zealand and Canada to ensure that both parties are protected and some instances to minimise housing discrimination. On the other side of the break, Chin Wai Lun will be talking to Chris Tan of Cher Associates to explore the legal angles of this issue. BFM 89.9 Welcome back to The Property Show. I'm Chin Wai Lun and we have heard the rental horror stories from Keith and of course we do not want it to happen to ourselves. Hence, in the studio with me this morning is Chris Tan of Cher Associates and we will delve into the legal aspects of the landlord-tenant relationship. Good morning, Chris. For a start, what current laws or acts govern relationships between landlords and tenants? If there aren't any, and since people still rent, what do people base any sort of agreements or contracts on? Okay, for a start, that as far as Malaysia's law is concerned in relation to landlord and tenants, we don't have a specific act to deal with it. Um, there is a proposal of a residential tenancy uh, act uh, but the earliest for the deliberation of parliament to be tabled, that will be uh, end of next year, by the way. Mm. So, uh, but we do have other law that's regulating uh, in relation to the relationship with landlord and tenant. Uh, if I can name a few, that would be like the Contract Act and uh, things like the Special Re Specific Relief Act, as well as the Distress Act 1951, as well as the National mm. Land Code in relation to the bits and parcel of a tenancy dispute. As we are uh, still speaking on contracts, right? What standard items should be on them? What clauses do you notice are often excluded despite their importance? Let's put it this way. We, we all are very keen uh, in relation to preparing of a tenancy agreement. Obviously, it's the commercial item that, that the landlord and tenant are looking at. Things like, uh, for example, deposit required, utilities deposits, uh, renter, what to do and all that. But beside that, uh, uh, not very much interests are, 
are put into or focus or attention drawn to the facts that are more important uh, provision, for example, like, uh, you know, termination, what happened? Is there a notice at the end of the day? What happened after non-payment renter? What's the treatment of the deposit? What's the condition of the premises when you take delivery and also when you uh, hand over back the premises back to the uh, landlord? So typically, these are the things that that is being there. And it's very importantly also, talking about uh, whether, you know, it's furnished or not furnished and then whose responsibility in relation to those furnished items, yeah. Mm. So in making decisions on tenants, is it okay to have interviews? Is it normal? What information should landlords look for? Um, as far as interview is concerned, there is no prohibition, right, in relation to say that, you know, landlord can have an interview of the tenant. Uh, it's all because it's all pre, pre, predominantly still regulated by the contract, the tenancy agreement. Therefore, for all intent and purposes, it's a willing buyer, willing seller. Mm. In that sense, which both parties, if they think that the interview need to be scheduled to understand the tenants more, it's a good practice, but it's not required under the law, mm. right? And uh, for it is actually a practice of a developed nation. Uh, for example, you see that a lot of... Uh, uh, more developed nation when they take in a new tenant they have even tenant interview by the resident association of the same building because they want to know who are the people moving into their community so uh, it's a good practice to do uh, it's always good to have some background check uh, here and there but then at the end of the day the decision making is still aligned with the landlord it's the risk that the landlord have to take what mm. about subletting can you briefly explain the legality of it? Okay, subletting for all intent and purposes uh, is actually uh, what I would say uh, uh, is actually regulated by the tenancy agreement. Mm. Uh, in Malaysia, the tenancy agreement is very important. Uh, even though you want to rely on whatever act that I've mentioned that support the bid and parcel of a tenancy dispute, right? Mm. Uh, you still have to refer to a tenancy agreement. Uh, one word of advice I always want to tell people is that don't, uh, trick into thinking that all tenancy agreement is standard. There's no such thing as a standard tenancy. Uh, you must always look for a version of tenancy agreement that cater for the intention of the party in your unique situation. So as far as subletting is concerned, I want to highlight is that, you know, you have to talk about the do and don'ts. Is it a subletting of a general space or is it a subletting of a designated space? What about the usage? What about... Uh, uh, is there any uh, lines to be drawn in relation to all that? So I'm just saying to you is that one thing that a lot of people are neglected in relation to the tenancy agreement in relation to subletting is that number one, the tenancy agreement must allow for subletting. If it's not allowed, means you cannot unless you get the agreement of the landlord to change the tenancy arrangement. Mm. Number two is that you must also look at the local authority uh, regulation in relation to that. For example, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, because uh, every house or every unit of premises, there are certain limitations in usage, for example, commercial use, non-commercial use. How many people can stay in a house is also uh, a consideration. So therefore, uh, and, and when people talk about subletting, uh, can you also erect new structure, you know, divide into new rooms and things like that. Things like that are all regulated uh, by the local authority. What has to happen before deciding to evict a tenant? If it comes to evicting a an errant tenant, how? 
I think let's put it this way. First and foremost, look at your tenancy agreement. That's why I say don't take your tenancy agreement lightly, mm. right? So I encourage every landlord and tenant, please read your tenancy agreement. Don't read the schedule whereby you just talk about how much you need to pay when you get in and when you get out, all right? Mm. That's the last of your concern, by the way. Uh, uh, then the last thing you need to do is that when you read it, you will know what is the nitty-gritty of a tenancy, right? Mm. So at the end of the day, when you talk about eviction of tenants, right? You must see whether there's a requirement to give notice, tenancy, uh, to quit the tenancy, to terminate agreement first before you, you do that. But generally, other than compliant with a proper tenancy agreement, what is provided for, you still need to go to the court, yes, to get for an eviction order. And once you got the eviction order, you still need the help of the bailiff uh, to help you to do the eviction. Let's put it this way. Uh, you have to understand Malaysia, as far as we are concerned, our tenancy law is actually uh, inheritance uh, from the common law of England, whereby uh, under the Commonwealth jurisdiction of uh, United Kingdom of the past, right, um, possession is what we call 910 of the law, which means uh, the person who are in the building uh, uh, has a certain expectation which is uh, quite high that we need to meet. That's why even for squatter eviction, we need to go to court. Is it legal for you to, like, for instance, padlock the place or cut off the water and electricity supplies in the event of non-payment? Uh, of course, it's, it's, it is illegal, let's put it this way, uh, because as far as that's concerned, uh, there are other risks as well. Let's put it this way, if you say padlock the place, right? I'm just giving a very common practical issue, correct? What if there are people inside, correct? What if there's a fire breakout, mm. And there is a problem of getting out and then life are, are actually endangered, correct? Mm. And those who's responsible for the consequence, mm. correct? Let's talk about electricity then. You want to say, you think it's easy to actually disconnect electricity? What if in your preparation of a tenancy account, uh, agreement, right? Mm. Uh, in relation to the utility account, let's say the TMB account, uh, the, uh, it's actually in the name of the tenant. You think that the the authority will actually the utility company will actually entertain your request to stop their electricity supply? Mm. So all this practicality must be considered. Mm. Yeah, in a unique situation of a tenancy. Okay. In other words, we have to by the book follow the law. Uh, not just by the books. Uh, plus, thing is that by the books is one thing. Number two, mm. that you have to also consider your unique situation. Like mm. I said, mm. if you are a landlord renting out a residential unit mm. and a landlord renting out a commercial unit, I think it's a two different matters uh, in relation to that. Uh, and the requirement of the deposit and whatnot uh, is still subject for negotiation. There is norm, mm. but there is also uh, what is unique to your situation. Right, the norms say that you pay a two months deposit, right? Mm. And also for commercial, it's three month deposit. But can you break away from the norm? The answer is yes, mm. right? If you see there's a risk uh, as a landlord that you want to manage that better, can you actually change the tenancy agreement? Again, willing buyer, willing seller, if both parties agree, yes, you can change all you want as long as it's within the ambit of the greater law, yes. Mm. Okay. So uh, moving on, in the mm. case of an apartment or a strata rental, how mm -hmm. feasible would it be to also include the management in the rental agreement? Or in other words, how practical would it be to get the management to also keep an eye on errant tenants? The answer is no. Simply no. And there's no requirement actually. Mm. Let's put it this way. 
Management is supposed to, everyone have to understand one thing. Uh, mm. uh, in a strata development, the management is there to manage the common property and common services. They are not there to manage your tenant. If they are there to manage your tenant, then it's a very different uh, ball game already. This without it is out of their jurisdiction of the joint management body, the JMP or the management corporation responsible in managing the common property and services to the strata development. So therefore, it's very unusual that a management corporation will agree to be part of your your tenancy agreement is highly unlikely, right? And then also irregular. Yeah. Thank you, Chris, for your legal insights. On the property show today, I have been speaking with Chris Tan of Cho Associates. If you have missed any part of this conversation, you can download the podcast on the BFM app, which you can find it on the Apple App Store or Google Play. It will also be available on Spotify. I'm Chin Wai Lun. This is BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.